Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Good morning, everybody. How, how many of you have gotten back from vacation like us? Anybody? Anybody besides us got back from vacation? Wow. So good to be back. We just got back from Colorado. I think Brenda's going to do a sneak attack on me here. Uh, but um, we just uh, really love our church family. And we're excited about what we're going to start. We're going to kick off today. Brenda and I are going to... Uh, there's not a lot of things that we feel like we're very competent in, and uh, I'm not even sure we feel like we're competent in, in marriage and family, but here's what I will say. We've endured. We've learned from our mistakes as <laughs> yeah. well as our... <laughs> yeah. So we've, we've, uh, we, we think we might have a few things to share. Uh, if, if feebly and, uh, but at the same time, we're very, very hopeful for some of the stuff that we're going to be sharing over the next several weeks. We're going to have, uh, our elder couples are going to begin to share systematically on all kinds of subjects related to marriage and family. And today our, our subject matter is, we're calling it family discipleship. The purpose, the pillars, and the pitfalls of family discipleship. And so we're, we're kind of launching a, a whole series. We're going to be talking about children. We're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about uh, singlehood, uh, widows, divorcees. Everybody that is in this room is going to get, we're going to have something hopefully for every single one of you. Uh, some of you uh, have been married and never want to be married again. Uh, some of you have never been married and would desperately like to be. Some are, of you are married and may desperately not want to be. And some of you are married and very happily so, and we'd like to make it even better. Some of you have children that you really, really love, and some of you may not. <laughs> Oh, you go, Steve, you're not supposed to say those kind of things from the, okay. So, um, yeah, what we really, we really want to get into is the nitty gritty of how we become the people of God that people look at and go, wow, I, I just so love what God has done in their family. And we're, we're going to tag Tim it this morning. Yeah, we'll see how this works. I may have to kick Steve a few times, but yeah. <laughs> um, no, I tell you what I'm really excited about is that we're going to hear from all the um, several of the elder, the elders in our congregation, and really we're going to hear it's elder couples. So that's why Steve and I are up here together. We're sort of starting this, kicking this off as a we're going to be talking back and forth and just kind of uh, a little con conversational, a little preaching, but. Hope it works. 
Um, we have been married for 45 years. So, uh, Chris, show that picture. On our 45th anniversary, here's what we did, which was this past week. Oh, okay. We, Steve had mentioned we went to Colorado. That was one of the highlight reels right there. That's uh, Maroon Bells. And that's a, there's a lake behind us. And hey, it was a wonderful time. I hate that we missed the July 4th celebration, but this is what we were doing. <laughs> so, and um, that, that really is not just a scruffy looking prospector that she's hanging out with. It's, <laughs> well, <laughs> she, she made me, she made me trim up. Yes, you needed to. She, she said, I, I need to move from prospector to pastor or go. back to pastor. <laughs> so uh, we have four children, 11 grandchildren, and we have been d talking about marriage and family for, I would say, 15 to 20 years. I'm not sure exactly how long. I keep saying it's 15, but I think it's going on 20 now. And so we're going to share some of our life experience as well as some things that are from scripture and weave it all together. You know, this is theoretical, some of it, but it's not just theoretical. It really has been worked out in the laboratory of our family and our home. And one of the things that has been kind of a life message for us is that we, is the understanding that we all leave a legacy. Whether we intend to or not. We do leave a legacy. Every person leaves a legacy. So the question then becomes, what is the legacy that you want to leave? What is the legacy that you, your family legacy, not just your individual legacy, but your family legacy. And a legacy, when you, the term means like an inheritance. You know, that a legacy can be things like uh, a financial inheritance. You leave financial resources. Uh, it can be things like uh, a psychological, emotional. Some families are very emotionally healthy. Some are more dysfunctional. Um, our children will tend to adopt the strengths and weaknesses, and those in our sphere of influence will adopt the strengths and weaknesses of the family. Some families are like sports families. You know, everybody in the family plays sports. That was one of the things that we sort of emphasized in our family because that was what Steve and I had done growing up. Some families are very musical. Some families raise presidents. I mean, the Kennedys raised presidents. <laughs> Some families raise doctors. Some families raise construction workers. Some families raise teachers. I mean, it's not so much what we're talking about here is your legacy covers all dimensions, but the most important dimension is... Well, I think the most important one is, of course, the spiritual legacy we live, leave behind. And that legacy has the most momentum behind it. The, the Scripture talks about, uh, and we're going to get into this Scripture, but the blessing throughout, the, that, that word, blessing, is uniquely associated with family and families. And the Scripture says that the blessing of a righteous goes for a thousand generations. Righteous families 
leave incredible momentum for their descendants, whether they recognize it or not. And if there's anything we say today, we want you to take away this kernel of truth. It doesn't matter how deprived emotionally, financially, or even in terms of psychological health your family may not have, you can reverse all of that with a spiritual blessing because of your obedience to the Lord. It is profound. And you say, yeah, but my life still has all kinds of areas that just are a mess. Well, you know, one of the things that I keep saying to all of our Bible heroes aren't. There's just every single character in the, in the Bible is almost has anti-hero kind of characteristics. You go, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have put that in the Bible, Lord, if I were you. That's, that's genuinely true about almost all of our, quote, heroes. And we're going to get into one of those today. So you do not need to look at your own life or your own family and say, well, you know, I guess we're, yeah, wow. Every single one of us, no matter where we are, no matter the state we find our in, ourselves in today, can through our, our obedience today going forward and our love of the Lord alter generations and create generational momentum. And we impart who we are, not what we say. And that, if there's anything I can just say about all of this... How do you do that? Well, we're going to give you a few tools for, for doing that. But I think the one thing that I will say to every one of you in this room, you don't have a choice about leaving a legacy. You don't have a choice. You are going to leave one. The question is what kind you do have a choice on what kind you do leave. And it's not just about physical children. Some, some people will never have physical children that they bring into the world. But we, we all have the opportunity to have spiritual children. And there are people in our sphere of influence, those that we work with, our siblings, our parents, our um, just people that we meet on in, in our life, our neighbors. These are people that have, we have an impact on them. And the question then is, what is the impact we're having? Yeah, uh, part of that, the implication of all of that is this. God, there's a scripture that says, God puts the solitary in families. There are so many lonely people. And some of them are the neighbors you don't like very much. And you get to choose what legacy you leave. Some of the reasons that you may not like them are the very reasons Jesus died on the cross for them. Do you see the opportunity to, for you to become more like Jesus? In, in loving those unlovable neighbors, that is, the, that is part of what the early church 
everyone was welcome. All the slaves, all the orphans, all the widows, all the disenfranchised people were the ones who were embraced. It wasn't just the beautiful people. It wasn't just a place where we're trying to get all the cool people. No, this was, we were going out and finding those who were the discarded people. And for those of you that don't know it, uh, part of the culture that Jesus walked into was a culture where infanticide was a legal option throughout all of what we call uh, the Mediterranean and Middle East. It was nothing. It was the only people on the planet that were peculiar that didn't embrace infanticide as a means of, of reproductive control were the Jews. And the, you know what happened? The Christians are the ones that begin to say, give us your babies. That's where adoption began to happen. It, because of that very thing, they'd say, we'll take your baby that you want to uh, kill legally. So look, there's nothing new under the sun. We have always been a countercultural people, and it always starts with the idea of bringing people into our family. I'm going to talk about one of the first families. Uh, this is, uh, so for those of you who are taking notes, remember Steve said we're going to talk about the purpose of family, the pillars of a healthy family, and the pitfalls for families. Aha, uh -huh, look at that. Um, so under purpose of family, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Abraham, because this was the first family that the Lord chose to begin to show his, he said he was going to choose Abraham. And why did he choose Abraham? So God chose Abraham because he wanted a family as a means of blessing the entire earth. He told Abraham that through him, all the families of the earth, all the nations would be blessed. So let's read Genesis 18, 18 and 19. Uh, I want to read this scripture verse because this has had a big impact on me through the years. Why did God choose Abraham? Was it because he was a righteous man? Was it because he was, I mean, honestly, Abraham was a pagan. And we kind of see that as if you know some of the stories of Abraham. He was not really attuned to righteous living because he hadn't learned yet. But in Genesis 18, 18 through 19, let me just read it. Abraham will surely become a great nation, a great and powerful nation. And all nations on the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. The Lord chose Abraham because he knew that he would direct his children and his household after him. That was astounding. That's why he chose Abraham. Abraham, in, in this particular story, uh, Abraham has three visitors. They're on the way to Sodom to destroy it. And the Lord decides to read Abraham in on his plans. 
And he decides to do that, and he, he, he sort of says, this is when he says, because he will direct his children. Abraham's legacy, as you see in this verse, is not just for his children. It's to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Your legacy with your family is not just for those, your children or your spiritual children. You're going to have a thousand generations beyond you that are blessed. If you enter into the blessing of the Lord on your family, then the power of that blessing goes way beyond one or two generations. When you are, the decisions that you make have ripple effect throughout eternity. And I think that's the thing that we don't necessarily understand. So the fact that we are standing here today is because Abraham did one or two things right. That's really it. He, didn't, he wasn't a perfect guy. Not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, parts of the story we can't do if there are any children under the age of 18 here. Okay? It's just kind of like, wow, that's rated 16 plus. You know, it's, it's just scandalous. And, and here's the interesting thing about that. We're going to get into this just a little later, but the kids knew the story. The kids knew the story. It wasn't like, well, you know, the Lord had, uh, Abraham and Sarah were kind of like, oh, let's not tell anybody about this part of the story. No, all the kids knew the story. Because what they understood was this. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for the best obedience you can provide him. Right now, today. That's it. He is a gracious, his mercies are new every morning. That's why what I want to say to you, anyone here, it doesn't matter how messed up your family is right now. It doesn't matter how messed up you have contributed to your family situation. It doesn't matter how despairing you feel. There is nothing that God can't redeem just through obeying Him. And you know what he, how He obeyed Him? He, he obeyed the Lord and left the place he was. It was that simple. And he had a few other obediences, and those were the things that were the hallmark. And you guys know what revisionist history is, right? Do you know who got the idea from about revisionist history? You know who gave it? God. Because in the book of Hebrews, it says that Abraham never wavered in his faith. And I've got at least three instances. The lawyer in me wants to go up to the Lord and go, well, you know, right here and here and here. What about those waverings? And the Lord goes, no, I'm, I, I'm rewriting the story, so be quiet, Steve. <laughs> and that's what he says about your life, okay? And his judgments are true. They're truer than yours. They're truer than mine. Yeah. So... Let's get into, I, I think the most important thing you need to understand is family is one, of, it's, a, it's a metaphor for the Trinity itself. The Trinity itself is really a metaphor. 
You know, here's a, here's a good example. How many of you know that God is not a rock? I mean, nobody here believes God looks like a big old piece of, you know, granite, you know? But the scripture says he's like a rock. What, what does that mean? It's a metaphor because he is so incomprehensible for us in our finite understanding. In his infinitude, we need metaphors. And one of the most important metaphors throughout the scripture is that God is a father. He has a son and he is inviting us to be part of his family. And that is a metaphor that all of us can understand. All of us are looking to be a part of a family with a, a healthy father, a healthy mother's, healthy brothers and sisters. That's, and why, what does that all originate from? It originates from the metaphor of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then finally, one of the most important aspects of the purposes is fruitfulness. Our life is not just about us and our um, 401k and our retirement and our, you know, whatever retired people are supposed to do. I, I think they're supposed to be leaving a legacy and whatever doesn't contribute to leaving a legacy, they ought not be doing it. You know, the word retirement is not in the Bible, by the way. Just had to say that. Lord said that to me, but I've, I've kind of been there for a while. So, so what are the pillars of a healthy family? Well, the first pillar is the covenant love of the Lord and one another. That is the first pillar. And let me, let me just read you out of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. How many of us have heard that before? These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now, just a little background. Deuteronomy 6 is after Deuteronomy 5. Who, who knows what's in Deuteronomy 5? The Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. God has just given the Ten Commandments. Now, the first thing that the Lord says about the Ten Commandments is not what we should do. You go, what do you mean? Every one of them are about things we should do. That's exactly right. But he starts the, the Ten Commandments by saying what he has done for Israel. And you know what he'd done for them? He had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. See, everything always starts with what God does in our life, not what we do for God, okay? Can we just get, keep that? You know, we start talking about these things, and we start getting our white knuckle club membership. You know, we start going, oh, I got I to gotta do all this. No, remember, he's the one that set us free from slavery. Now, these are the, if, as you do these things, you begin to, my love is practical. It looks like this. This is what my love, my, my love is not just sentimental. I actually do things that are practical. That's the definition of love in God's terminology. And it is the love that the whole world is looking for. Okay. So listen to this. Here's how you do this. You impress them on your children. Talk with them when you sit at home. 
when you walk along the road or drive your SUV or when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. That is a metaphor for that the works of your hands and the thoughts of your mind are kind of obsessed with doing the things that God would have you do. That's really what it means, which is really, everybody is so obsessed about the mark of the beast, you know? Yeah, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, I hope. But those of you who've been raised in evangelical Christianity, there's this big thing, you know, there's a mark of 666, he's going to put it on your head and he's going to put it on your hand. And we're so worried about all the chips that could be inserted in them below our flesh. And really what we need to be worried about is the way we think and the things we do. And whether we have his mark on us. Yeah, and whether we're thinking his thoughts. So, you tie them in symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. In other words, the presence of God permeates your house. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So now, this is really complicated. Yeah. I'm not is... sure if we can do this. I mean, I mean, how many of us actually sit at home? Oh, all of us. We all sit at home. Yes, especially in the last year. <laughs> how many of us walk along the road or drive down the road? So how many of us lie down at night? Huh. This is really pretty universal, right? This, this How many is, of yeah. us get up in the morning? When are we supposed to be thinking about loving the Lord? This is how you do it, as you go. This isn't an elective course either. No. This is not it's, kind of... It's in the fabric of your life, every part of your life. It cannot be an add-on or a hobby or something on the edges or on the margins. Because remember... You impart who you are. If you want your children or those in your influence to follow the Lord, you know what you can do? Follow the Lord. It's not a guarantee. People have their own will. Jesus paid an incredibly high price so that every human being on the planet can exercise a free will. But the best thing you can do, if you want those in your influence, your children, your spiritual children, your family, to follow the Lord, follow the Lord with all your heart. You don't have to do it perfectly. Um, One thing that is interesting, and I see a few of you with your teenage children with you. This is a fascinating study. People are, in fact, most of us in this room that have children have a longing. Every one of us have this longing that we want our children to exceed us in every area, including our spirituality. We want our children to be more spiritually in tune with the Lord than we are, right? Is, is there a parent here that would say, oh, I'm competing with my kid. I want to I beat him in that category. 
I don't think there's a single one of us that have that a desire in our heart. So we do want our children's, uh, our ceiling to be their floor is kind of a way we say things around here. There is nothing about that that will be more important than you practicing the presence of God. That, and, and how do you practically practice the presence of God? So that's the other pillar of the family. One is the covenant love, and the second one is practicing the presence of God. I think we got mixed up on, on our order here a little bit on who's doing what, but I do want to talk about... No, I was just... You follow up on that. Okay. This is the one that really likes the oh, yeah. line upon line. I do. I'm kind of like free flow. I know. All right. Here, tell this. Keep it, keep it simple. <laughs> keep it very simple. I think that's really important. You know, if it's a worship song in the morning, a Bible verse, um, a prayer before a meal. I know one thing that our family did, and, and I, I do fight a little bit. It's like, wow, Lord, I feel like, how can I speak about these things? And we didn't practice this perfectly. We, evidently, we did enough so that our kids saw that we were radical followers of Jesus. But we did have meals together, and at those meals, we prayed. Keep it simple and be consistent. I think that's really kind of a, a, a real thing with children here. Yeah, I think we need to have routines that... Fuller Seminary said this, the percentage of children that are following the, the Lord at the age of 30, there's only one thing they could determine that was consistent across the board with Christian families. And this, they said this really shocked them. But they found that the children who would sit with their mother and father in church services after the age of about 13 until they were 18 seemed to be the kids that made it. That 13 to 18 time frame and you go, is very, very critical. I, you know, I, I even... And then I started thinking about my own boring Christian church that I had to go to until I was 18. The one I judged and all the people I thought were just not nearly as spiritual as I was because I was really sold out to Jesus and they were just, you know. I, that, that's just the truth. I, I thought I was a whole lot more spiritual than all those old people at the but you dead Methodist with your church. Parents. But I sat with my parents who drugged me every single Sunday And I just, I'd gotten, I'd met the Lord outside of that church, so I thought that church was horrible. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this, all you young people that are judging your parents for their church attendance? It's not nearly as spiritual as Antioch. Oh, well. The point is, traditions, it's like that movie, uh, Rev Teviar, 
in the Fiddler on the Roof. Tradition. No, you don't want me to do my tra <laughs> tradition. Okay. Everybody, everybody can see him right okay, now. Okay, okay. All right. All right. So, in Deuteronomy 6.25, it says, When your sons ask, tell them that you were slaves in Egypt. Another foundation, a critical foundation, is your own personal testimony. Like, can I just tell you, your kids don't want to know a bunch of Bible verses more than they want to know how Jesus changed your life. And most of us have some things we're fairly ashamed of. I mean, Sarah and Abraham had some things they were ashamed of. You know, before Isaac, there was Ishmael. And evidently, Isaac found out about it and told generations later. And that's why we are all talking about Ishmael. You're perf there's this thing, I, I, especially among evangelical Christians, it's all like, I, get, I meet the Lord and then I fall into some sin. And it just like, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta whitewash that and never ever talk about it. The question is, did you stay in it or did he deliver you out of it? Is the fact that you fell into it just mean that you now have an enemy that wants to destroy your life more than he used to because you were in his camp that's the that's what that is evidence of and so it doesn't mean that we need to approve of all that it just means we don't need to freak out when our when our spiritual children fail because our father is never surprised he, he never gets disillusioned I don't know if any of you, hey, I am God's, I, Lord, it's, you know, you got quite a prize when you got me. No, he, he's, he doesn't have any of those kind of illusions about any of us. You know, I have a personal testimony about this. I, had a grand, I have a granddaughter. She's now 17. But when she was 12, she came to me and said, Grandma, I just don't know if I believe in God. I said, well, honey. Everybody has struggles with doubts, so you keep talking to me about that. Don't worry about it, and we'll pray about it. And, and I said, but let me tell you some of my encounters with the Lord. What He's done in my life, how He's spoken to me supernaturally. And, she, and so she would listen, and then the next time we got together, she said, Grandma, tell me those stories again about how God spoke to you. And I would tell her again. She asked me to recount those stories over and over. She wanted to hear that God was real because she was struggling with that. And let me tell you something. Those in your influence, your sphere of influence, your children, your spiritual children, if you think that they won't struggle with that, you are wrong. They will. You having a real testimony, real things, real, you know, this is the miraculous thing the Lord did for me. This is how He spoke to me. This is the sign that He gave to me. This is my Ebenezer stone. 
Not just a Bible verse. Bible, you need Bible verses, but they're not. You've got to add to that your personal testimony. And so over time, the Lord worked in her life. She went to, I took her to a Christian camp. They immersed her in the things of the Lord. And other, she was hearing other people's testimonies. And then she came to our house and spent a week with us and said, I want to stay up all night because I'm 13 and I think that really makes you an adult. <laughs> I don't know. And so I said, fine, what are you going to do? Um, well, I'm going to watch movies. I said, well, let me pick the movie and that's fine. So I did. I picked a movie. The movie was God is Not Dead. <laughs> and she, the next morning she got up, Grandma, I watched that movie two times. I said, yeah, really? How was it? She said, it was great. And you know what? I believe. And now she, and she is following the Lord. Look, you do not understand how important your personal testimony will be with your kids. And it's not, it's your struggles and how you've come through them and how the Lord spoke to you and the signs and wonders he did for you, all of that. So... The pillars of the family are covenant love. You've got to practice the presence of God. You've got to have a te personal testimony. And then finally, you have to teach people, your people, your family members, how to hear the voice of the Lord. That is so incredibly, incredibly important. Deuteronomy 5, 27 is one of the most tragic verses in all of the Bible. And this is the children of Israel, and they're talking to Moses. It's Deuteronomy 5.27. You, Moses, go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say. And tell us <coughs> all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. Okay. There's another scripture where... These two, there's 70 elders that get brought up with Moses to stand before the Lord in the mountain, in the cloud. It's amazing. It's one of those God moments. It's kind of like, you know, Steven Spielberg special effects on steroids. I mean, the, 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 they can only see the feet of the Lord. They, his glory is filling everything. Well, it seems like there's two dudes who were elders who got left back in the camp. They, somehow they didn't get the email. They didn't check their email or their text message. And they didn't get up there to see the presence of the Lord. But you know what happened? It says all of those 70 elders started prophesying. The presence of God was so powerful, they started prophesying. Well, back in the camp, the two that didn't get the uh, email, they started prophesying. And Joshua, who's Moses' assistant, is like, hey, you want me to tell those guys to stop? I mean, you know, they're, they're not with us. They're kind of down there doing their own thing. And, and, and you know what Moses said? Would that all of God's people be prophets? Can I just tell you? I've, I've been this person. Why don't you hear the voice of the Lord for me and I'll do whatever 
you teach me on Sunday morning. Okay. That's a good time for somebody to say, Amen, brother. Okay. What, what we're saying is, this is why over and 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 over we emphasize in this church that we are a prophetic people. We are a loving prophetic people who hear the voice of God. And we know we don't hear it perfectly. And we don't think that when we hear it, it's replacing scripture. But none of you saw your wife or your husband's name written in the Bible. You had a knowing inside of you. Some of you might have, but Brenda is not in the Bible. Last time I checked. Why don't you tell the Lauren Cunningham story? He uh, was the founder of YWAM. But I want to tell a story about him when he was a child. Um, he recounts it in, in his book as something that was really important in his life. Um, this was when he was six years old. His mother had asked him to go to the grocery store. <clears throat> and they were pretty poor. This was during the Depression. Uh, he needed to get the family some milk. She gave him $5 and said, this is our grocery money for the week. Be careful. So he stuck the bill in his jeans pocket, wandered off toward the store, and then when he got there, um, he, he had kind of gone to, to two or three bushes and played around a little bit, but when he got to the store, he realized that the money was gone. And he was heartsick. He ran back, and he, um, he, he was looking where he had, may have dropped it. But finally, he went home and told his mother what had happened. And his mother's reaction was what he remembered. She did not wring her hands and scream and get upset. She prayed. She prayed. And she said, After she prayed, she said, Lauren, the Lord is going to show us where that money is. So she asked, she got him to pray with her. And then after they prayed, she said, okay, I think that I know where it is. I think the Lord told me. So they went outside and it was getting dark and she walked up to an evergreen tree and at the base of that tree, was that $5 bill. That incident deeply impacted Lauren Cunningham. And he grew up knowing that the Lord cares even about the smallest details of our lives and he is involved with us. And that's the sort of thing that you think, wow, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But that's the sort of thing. Your, your child comes to you. I mean, in the past week, I've had a grandchild call me, these are the older ones, <laughs> uh, and say that they're having a, a problem making this or that happen. I say, I mean, let, well, let's just pray and ask the Lord to work that out. Let's pray. I mean, that is such a simple thing, but it shows your kids what your source is. One of the things that we have, and we're going to 
wrap it up real quickly, but there's, there's some pitfalls that every family has to face, and I think most of us can think of them. The first pitfall is your family of origin. It may be a total messed up family. And here's the thing about dysfunction. It feels normal. Can I just say that one more time? The problem with dysfunction is it feels normal. So when, when you say to your wife or your husband, well, that's the way our family always did, did it, is not any kind of commendation, okay? Just, just understand that that may not be the best way to, you know, it's not that we jettison everything we've been taught by our families, but there are things that as we discover the way to walk with God, our God and the ways of God, we go, you know what? Some of the ways our family taught us things, you know, we were kind of obsessed about this, but we weren't as nearly obsessed about seeking first the kingdom of God. We kind of had it, we kind of had our priorities out of whack in the Jellicorse household. Even though they were Christians and following the Lord, they sometimes had their Abrahamic and Sarah-esque kind of problems. Do you see where I'm going with that? In other words, your family of origin needs to be honored, but it doesn't need to eat the meat, spit out the bones. And sometimes it takes years for you to go, yeah, you know what? We our family was a little bit on the judgmental side, wasn't it? I mean, this is one of the things Brenda and I both, we, we kind of had really solid together, you know, uh, alcoholism had been something that had been inside part of uh, my, my side of the family, and our, our, my, my immediate mom and dad, we, we were teetotalers. There was no alcohol, and boy, were we proud of it. Yeah. Yeah, we were. We were real proud of it. And we didn't have a whole lot of tolerance, I'll have you know, for anybody that had a problem with alcohol abuse. None whatsoever. That's a dysfunction. I thought it was a good thing until I realized it was just self-righteousness. Do you see where I'm going with this? What's a a couple more? Toxic culture. I mean, we... Uh, in the same chapter, we keep going back to Deuteronomy 6 because this was a really foundational chapter. You shall go after no other gods. When you, let me ask you, when you organize your life according to, you should go after no other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst. Your current culture that is telling us through social media and some of the other influences mommy blogs is that not just yeah. I just had to say it I've read some of them I'm going what well I mean it, 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 it can become an idol if this is where you're getting your wisdom that can become an idol uh, also just your own misplaced personal values I would say a way to think about that is ungodly beliefs all right so if your conversation in your household is mostly about 
sports, what grades you're making, whether or not you're, you know, popular. That is not going to be the legacy you want to leave. That's not the kingdom of God. We want our kids to be successful, but, but let, me, let me say one thing. I, I mean, I know we're probably a little... We had a family friend, <laughs> father of 10, who in the past week lost his life in a car accident. Extremely sad, but let me tell you what this man had done. He had left a legacy for his children and their response from age three through 20-something was to come together and draw close to one another and love one another and worship the Lord. That is what they did. It, you know, that particular event could rip a family apart, but it doesn't appear to be having that effect on this family. So I think that he has le he left a spiritual legacy. He, he probably didn't realize he didn't have much time. I know he didn't. Yeah, he was in his 40s. So how do we leave a legacy? Well, we be, we're intentional, we're specific, we're authentic, and we're consistent. Take those notes and think about it. One thing I would say about this is, and I want to go back to what we said, We know about David and his problems. Every single king and leader of Israel is exposed, no matter how wicked or how good they were, or how often the good ones would make a big, major uh, misstep with the Lord or in their respect to their own families. And yet, those, it was 42 generations from Abraham until Jesus Christ was born to two descendants of Abraham. 42 generations. It's listed in the book of Matthew in the chapter 1. It is that important. It's the very first thing mentioned in the New Testament. It may, it, most of us read those, those names and those 42 generations if you're doing your read through the Bible thing, those are the ones you skip. Or you just kind of don't even try to say the names at all. But they're in there and you aren't. So you might want to read those names. And here's the other thing. They're really important to God. And that's because you're, what you decide to do with your life and your children and your grandchildren. And you say, well, I'm really, I'm alienated from my kids. Well, you've got a prayer life, don't you? There's nothing about your history that should limit your future in the Lord. Clean up your messes. Admit it when you've made mistakes. Maybe you were too worldly. Maybe you were too legalistic. Maybe you didn't walk with the Lord very well. Yeah, but I messed up so bad. Well, you know what? God didn't think you are. You're not paying for your sins. 
And your kids can't make you pay for your sins. And your parents can't make you pay for your sins. Get right with your family members. And get right with your neighbors that are you're alienated from. Because they are supposed to be in the family of God with you. Let's pray. Let's all rise. Lord, we thank you that you have put the solitary in families. That you've let some of us be life partners for 45 years. Lord, I pray for every marriage that's here. I pray that you would strengthen every single marriage in this house. Lord, for every area that seems insurmountable or difficulty that seems persistent and unyielding and like it's never going to get fixed, Lord, we just thank you that that lie is not true and things can change and they will if we wait on you, if we trust in you. Lord, I thank you for every single person here, no matter why. They've never been married, they're divorced, they're a widow or widower. Lord, I pray for every single person in this house. Lord, I pray for the loneliness that you would put people in this house in family. You are our dear, beloved Father. You deeply care for every one of us. We are descendants of Father Abraham and Mother Sarah. We are sojourners on this earth, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would heal every heart. I just want to invite the elders and the life group leaders to come forward right now. I want to invite you, if you are would like some prayer for a relationship, maybe you have a son or a daughter that you're estranged from, maybe you... Maybe you and your husband, you and your wife are struggling with some things in your marriage. Maybe you have some relational cleaning up to do with other relationships. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe you're alienated from a brother or a sister. Maybe it's family members that you have no way to reconcile with because they're just unwilling to and you just like to pray for them if there's one thing we as a church have to be we have to be a place where fam it's safe to be family I know that there are <laughs> every couple of weeks we get a phone call about some sort of crisis in marriage. Uh, I am never surprised because part of those conflicts are God highlighting the areas where you have an opportunity to grow. It's that simple. And the Lord's highlighting it now. If that's you as a couple. Maybe now's the time for you to come and just get some prayer. We just want to make this a place. There is no judgment. 
We have, every one of us have been there. That's part of our testimony. We have failed. We have not followed the Lord well. And our failure is only an amplification of His grace in our lives.